These later years of childhood have been flying by. As a mom, I want to not just be available to my kids during these last years they have at home, but I want to feel good and have the energy I need to keep up with their schedule and my own. So my health is a top priority. Equilibria is a woman-owned wellness brand with unique science-backed products that help bring your mind and body back into harmony. You're not alone on your wellness journey. Every customer gets one-on-one support to help you meet your goals. EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense is a three-in-one capsule that supports your digestive health and promotes gut barrier protection. A healthy gut positively impacts immunity, mental health, sleep, digestion, and skin health. It helps regulate digestion, immunity against bad bacteria, and improve nutrient absorption. The gut has been called the second brain because it contains more than 100 million nerve cells. It is a vitally important piece to our overall health, both physical and mental. So to make sure my gut is working at its potential, I started taking EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense to improve my digestion and nutrition absorption, boost my overall immune health, and help with sleep and stress as a bonus. Head to myeq.com and use code PARENTING for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and much more. That's myeq.com and use code PARENTING at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly, but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline, the place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your host, Erin Royer. Today, I'm covering a question about a very common issue for parents of young toddlers and an issue I remember dealing with myself sometimes. Then I also wanted to share some insights about parenting in general that I've been thinking about a lot lately, about potential, about expectations, and about that fine line of letting kids be who they are, but not being a doormat to them, about having expectations and boundaries and still supporting them as unique individuals. I think sometimes this can get really blurry, and I thought it could be a very insightful concept to share. So we'll see how well I do and how it goes in getting my thoughts out on this. Now, of course, I will be using not just my experience as a professional, but also with my own children as some examples. And I never like to come across as just talking about my kids. So some people like to hear my personal experience as it relates to the topic, and a few have expressed that they really don't want to hear about it. So I'll be covering that in the last half of the episode. For So for those who don't really enjoy hearing about my personal stories. You can just choose to listen up to the first part and then you can turn off the episode if you choose. So first, a question from Jessica about her toddler who engages in a very common and natural toddler behavior and how to work with it. So Jessica says, hi, Erin, my husband and I finished watching your developing toddler class. It was very insightful. We had one question. Our 15-month-old son has been walking for a couple of months. He doesn't always want to hold our hand because he wants to go explore. How can my husband and I teach him to hold our hand, to stay close, to come back or stop when he's walking outside or in public areas? 
What are some tips and strategies you recommend to teach him these things that are developmentally appropriate? I want him to be able to explore and learn, but I also want to keep him safe. And he gets very frustrated, upset when I have him hold my hand or I have to pick him up because where we are might be a little dangerous due to cars or crowds of people. Thanks for your advice. Now, what I really love is that Jessica is aware of the strong desire in toddlers to explore their world and not wanting to stifle that, and yet how this can often butt up against the need for safety in certain situations. So here's what you can do. Now, I call this the power struggle sidestep, and it's covered in the power struggles class. It's a simple four-step process in given situations that either have been problematic in the past or we know or expect to be problematic given experiences we've had in similar situations, you can use this technique. So for step one, you want to set the expectations. You want to be as specific as possible. And I'm going to give an example after this. In step two, you want to offer two to three choices on how your child can fulfill the expectation. Step three, you want to lay down the consequence for not complying with the expectation. And step four, you want to practice the steps with your child. You want to make sure your child picks one of the choices, understands the task and the consequences when you do this step. So you can coach your child through these as needed. Now, it is very common for parents to give steps one and three. Steps one and three are setting the expectation and laying down the consequence. However, what most children need and appreciate the most are steps two and four, getting to make a choice and then going through the practice. So here's how it could look for outings like Jessica mentioned. So you're out with your toddler. Step one, you set the expectation. When we get out of the car, I need you to stay close or I need you to hold my hand, whatever your expectation is for that moment. Step two, you're going to offer two to three choices. You may hold my hand, you may ride in the stroller, or walk beside me. You can also use or add in a silly choice. So you could say, you may waddle like a penguin or quack like a duck while you hold my hand. Which one should we do? For step three, give the consequence of what happens if the child does not comply. So say you've asked them to hold on to your hand. You would say something like, if you let go of my hand, you will need to sit in the stroller. Or if you let go of my hand, I will have to carry you. Or another option can always be, we will have to leave. If you say to your child, you need to stay right next to me, you put that in instead. If you wander away from me, you will have to sit in the stroller. Or if you wander away from me, I will have to carry you. That type of thing. Step four, practice. Very important step. When we get out of the car, what are you going to do? You want your child to say, I will hold your hand or I will stay right next to you. Okay, and what happens if you wander away from me or what happens if you let go of my hand? Again, you want the child to let you know that they understand the consequence that will happen. I will have to ride in the stroller or you will have to carry me. Great, let's do it. Okay, so this is a pretty simple four-step process that toddlers can understand and adhere to. If they do test it, once you follow through one or two times, they know you mean business. The great thing about this step process is it sets boundaries, but it offers choices within those boundaries. So they feel some level of control in the situation, which we all know is what toddlers are really seeking, that autonomy. They get to make a choice about how they're going to comply with your expectation, with your boundary. And this is why the technique works extremely well. 
And then sometimes, like I said, you want to get silly with it. You can be silly with it. And that oftentimes will take their mind, if once it gets a little boring or a little bit old, and it and we can bring some fun into it, that re-engages them in the process, right? Now, I've been covering a lot of different topics lately. I talked about summer safety. I've talked some about summer learning loss, power struggles, some discipline, sleep and bedtime struggles. But I also realized that I haven't offered any special discounts to the podcast audience in quite a while. It's actually probably been a year or more. So I wanted to be sure to do that today for everyone who's found me in the last year and for all of those who've stayed and continued to listen each week. So I have a new promo code just for podcast listeners for 15% off of all the classes as well as the monthly and quarterly memberships. Now the discount will continue as long as your membership is active, but the code will expire on August 1st. So you want to be sure to use it before August 1st, but it will continue through the lifetime of your membership. And the code is SUMMER18, S-U-M-M-E-R 18. You can use it when you check out by simply entering it at the bottom of the checkout page. You can see all the classes and sign up at yourvillageonline.com And remember to use the code SUMMER18 when you check out. Now this next part is not any specific tips, but it is about some things to think about, consider, and keep in mind about the parenting journey in general. Also, while I cover no specific tips today, I will be tackling some of these areas more specifically in upcoming episodes, including some tips and techniques. But today, I just wanted to share some of my thoughts and observations to give everyone some food for thought, some things to think about, generally overall approach to parenting, things to kind of notice, keep an eye out for. So I've been thinking about this balance a lot lately as it relates to my own children and children that I worked with and families as a therapist. So what I observed frequently when working with children and their families, I noticed that first and foremost, obviously, that most parents really want to do what's best for the kids. They wanted to teach and support and guide, but many times they just didn't know quite how to do that. They were really at a loss of how do I do this big, huge job of raising something from a tiny, helpless infant to um, a respectable, responsible, cooperative, amazing adult. It's a big job. They really wanted that. They just kind of got lost sometimes and didn't really know how to get all the way through that whole process. It's very overwhelming. So a lot of times they would just keep trying to do the same things over and over that weren't working. They wanted their kids to be happy. They want their kids to be successful. But again, they just weren't sure how to do it. I noticed that most parents also had very high expectations in some areas, yet very low ones in others. And while I did work with parents of kids of all ages, from toddlers all the way through high school students, I worked mostly with middle school students and their parents because this is the age where all the foundation of parenting that was built throughout the younger childhood tends to start to show its cracks. So for parents who had been parenting and more controlling by wielding authority, that method generally starts to fall apart once kids are hitting puberty. And so things can get really rough. I had to work with a few sets of parents to really help them back off and allow their kids some independence, allow their, start to trust their kids, their kids process, also teach their kids some skills so that they could go out and practice these skills without crashing and burning. And then for the parents who were too permissive, 
Their kids were now expected to be and needed to start being more independent, but they didn't have the life skills to handle managing their own responsibilities like homework, planning for tests, remembering to pack or bring items for school projects or activities, and those types of things. They'd gotten no practice with a lot of those things. I also noticed that there were a lot of parents had these high expectations for their children's emotional competence and for responsibility, even though they'd never really worked with them on it. Again, because they just didn't know how. Um, This isn't like teaching two plus two is four. This is a really different area of working with our kids. Now, the expectation in many cases seemed to be that these things were just phases that children would grow out of, that kids would just start to remember to bring their books home from school and their or their lunch to school um, in the morning. But without a real change in expectation, which means setting it up, setting boundaries and consequences around it, and helping them change their behavior, we're not going to see a change in that behavior. In other cases, parents were expecting their kids to be better at handling their emotions and sharing them appropriately, better at communicating in general about their wants, needs, and desires. But then when it didn't happen, especially by middle school, parents were often baffled about what to do because at this point, the pressure is on, right? Kids are expected to perform at a certain level. They're expected to act up to a certain level. So the parents can start to see high school and adulthood on the horizon and their kid is the one forgetting the school books for homework and their lunch at home several times a week. So as I was observing these things, this is when I decided to start offering classes to help parents get the guidance they were seeking so that they could start to set these foundations step-by-step early on, rather than once the child gets to middle school and they're like, oh crap, why is my kid not just learning how to do this? Why is my kid not picking this up now? They were hoping it was just, they were just going to grow out of it and just sort of start to by osmosis by watching the parents turn into a more responsible person. And that just isn't the way it usually works. So I wanted to give classes for parents to help understand their child's development, what they could and should not expect from their child emotionally at any given age, and how to help foster the emotional competence. Of course, my other goal is to help parents also understand how to help their children grow into responsible adults step by step along the way, how to support, coach, teach, and foster that over time as well. As an adult and a mom of a son, both with ADHD, I know navigating the expectations of life with ADHD can be a challenge, but finding the right care and proper tools needed to succeed can be life-changing. With the right resources, you can turn your ADHD into your superpower. Done is an online ADHD care platform that can get you all the resources you need to help manage your ADHD, online visits, refills, and a 24-7 care team made for you. Starting to take care of your ADHD is as easy as one, taking a one-minute free assessment to see if Dunn can help, two, booking an appointment with a licensed ADHD clinician as soon as today or tomorrow, three, start receiving ongoing care, enjoy online visits, personalized treatment plan, worry-free refills, and 24-7 care. Take a free one-minute assessment and book an appointment with a licensed ADHD clinician as soon as the next day. Get continuous care, insurance coverage, and 24-7 care team support with Done for just $79 a month and pharmacy co-pays as low as $0. Unlock your path to better focus now at get.donefirst.com slash podcast. Done. Turn your ADHD into your strength. This episode is sponsored by By Heart. By Heart is an infant nutrition company whose mission is simple 
make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, ByHeart created a clinically proven, easy-to-digest infant formula that's made with organic, grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. Our blend includes the most abundant protein found in breast milk, alpha-lac, as well as lactoferrin, the number one protein found in colostrum, along with broken down, partially hydrolyzed proteins. ByHeart is an easy-to-digest formula. In addition to its patented protein blend, our formula includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system. ByHeart is the only U.S.-made infant formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk, not skim. Curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with the code parenting for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. So I want to share this, and this is not a bragging story, and I often feel uncomfortable sharing because I don't want my experiences to come across as bragging. Now, of course, I think my kids are incredible, and of course, I'm proud of them, but they're also crazy, silly, sloppy, messy kids just like everyone else is, and I have to remind them to pick up their shoes and pick up things. We're still working on that, just like everybody else, reminders. But just to give an idea of what some things can look like, again, I'm not saying I don't have my struggles, and this is with my oldest, because I do. He's a loud and very silly kid. He hasn't quite learned when it's appropriate to be loud and silly and when it's not, at least while he's at home. He's perfectly behaved at school, but this is my biggest struggle with him personally right now, and that's something we're working on. But in other ways, he's very responsible. So our oldest is nine, and when I ask him to do one of his jobs around the house, most of the time his answer is okay, or as soon as I finish X, whatever he's doing. I don't get pushback or whining or complaining. Well, okay, I do on occasion, but it is rare. The other thing he's been doing for a couple of months now is when we get home from the grocery store, he'll go to the back of the SUV, grab as many bags as he can, and take them into the house without me even asking him. Now, this actually still surprises me when he does this, but I love that he pitches in without even being asked. I just, he's growing up and he's maturing and it's working. This is when I bring out the positive reinforcements in a big way, of course. So this is what I want my parents to shoot for, fostering that strong sense of responsibility and leadership whenever and however we can. And this happens in many ways, but it happens when we use positive discipline. Positive discipline is about raising kids who are cooperative, self-reliant, and self-disciplined. It's about setting boundaries just so that they have room to explore and to make mistakes, but not so much freedom that they crash and burn and we're not there to sort of help guide them along before they get too hurt or mess up too badly. It's about giving them a little more freedom and responsibility over time to see how well they handle it. Then they can earn more if they do it well. If they don't handle it, well, then we know we need to pull back a little bit and try again in another month or two. So positive discipline also means setting up expectations while working to keep it age appropriate for whatever it is you expect of your child at his or her age. Now, you know, I like to think back about the times in, and I'm I'm bad about 
talking about eras, but kind of the little house on the prairie era. And I think about these kids, these young kids, right, who used to help with the younger babies and used to go out before school and like work in the fields and they come home and work in the fields. And they were making dinner at like 10 years old. Now, I'm not saying that our kids should have that much responsibility, but certainly when I look back at that and I think about it, I see that they certainly have the capacity and the capability to take on more responsibility. So I really want my kids to take on more responsibility as they age. Now, it's a very different time than then. Of course it is. Like Kids have very different expectations on them now. School, I think, is much more demanding than it used to be. Back then, they knew the kids went home and did chores. So they spent X amount of hours in the schoolroom and then they went home. And I don't know that they probably had much homework back then. Um, you know, kids are doing extracurricular activities. They're doing sports, hopefully because they enjoy them, not for some sort of like crazy push for excellence at a, a too young of an age. But kids have a lot of other things going on. So it is definitely a different time. But I do think back about that and do realize that, you know, what, my kids can handle a couple of chores a day um, and they certainly can do it without complaining. And I should expect that by a certain age. To me, it's around eight to nine. They should be doing it without complaining. Sorry, I got off on a tangent there, but so expecting a two-year-old to use their words and never throw a tantrum is not a realistic expectation that will leave everyone extremely frustrated, but expecting an eight-year-old to do his or her job around the house most of the time without complaining is, believe it or not, not too high of an expectation, but expecting them to never complain is probably a little high of an expectation for most kids. It also means keeping our individual child in mind. Now, there are some kids who will never complain. They're just not complainers. You know, parents, we love those kids, but they're rare. There are others who will complain almost every time, every chance they get. My younger son Chandler still complains almost every time, but he's seven. Carter used to complain almost every time he had to unload the dishwasher, but We can set the expectation and work on it. And we do this through implementing positive discipline through coaching and teaching. This is exactly what I did with Carter and what I'm working on with Chandler. I set up the expectation and the boundary. Dishwasher is one of his jobs. No amount of complaining is going to change it. Life is full of things we don't always want to do. Then I'd talk about all the things his papa and I do around the house. And this is what I do with Chandler now that we don't love to do, but we do it because otherwise we'd never have dinner or clean dishes or clothes to wear. Now, I did get a question about how to teach and instill leadership skills in our kids that I will be answering a few weeks from now. So I will get more into specifics on that in that episode, as well as covering some more of these topics more in depth as well, so that I can give some tips and techniques about how to guide kids in these directions. But for now, I just wanna give a more general framework for the incredibly huge job of raising our kids to embrace opportunities and be well on their way to reaching their potential when they do finally venture out into the world as adults. Now, the other thing all of us parents grapple with and that I have observed in families I've worked with is letting our kids be who they are. What do I mean by that? It doesn't mean letting them be lazy or get away with things, but it does mean to try to always keep in mind that our children are as unique as we are. I think that's one of the hardest parts of parenting, accepting our children for who they are and then working within that framework rather than who we want them to be. 
Now, you see this in many different facets, especially in personality differences. One parent may be very outgoing, but the child is more introverted, or the parent may be lower in energy and the child is high energy or vice versa. So without being aware and understanding of this, these dissimilarities can wear on us and affect the way we see our children and therefore affect the relationship and or the way our kids start to see themselves. Now, this is really what the temperament class is all about, knowing and understanding our child's temperament so we can understand and accept them for who they are, similar or different from us. And then also working within that framework, helping them widen it out a little bit without expecting them to be a completely different person or to be more like we are. And I actually had a mom take the class and plot everyone in the family in each area of temperament. And she sent it to me and said, I understand my children and my husband so much better now. So that was really, really cool to see. And it was fun to see her line with where everybody fell on it. And I totally get it because I see that in my family as well. Now, we may even honestly see a child's strengths. We see their potential and yet they may choose a different path. But if and when we do our job right, we have to sit by and watch and hope and have faith in their process and that they will learn quickly or that they know better than we do about their needs to explore other options as hard as it can be to let them and watch them do that. But when it comes to their choices around activities and interests, it's good to take their lead as much as possible. And actually, this is a class that I've also on my list that I really want to do and I will eventually create this one. Because like everything, this really depends, right? The nine-year-old who wants to quit baseball after a season or two, even a really talented one, is different than just allowing a six-year-old violinist who's been practicing for six years and reached a particular level of performance and has had a goal around music for years to just up and quit. In the end, the choice should be up to the child, but in the latter case, it would be good to have talks about the goals, about how long he or she should stick with it, in order to see if she can rekindle the fire and not to just quit, and these types of things. But the other thing is, of course, is that kids can always go back to it. So here are a few examples around trusting our kids and having faith in their process. I have a friend who wanted his daughter to play tennis, and when she was younger, he pushed the tennis lessons really hard, and finally to the point where she began to hate it. It became such a struggle every time he finally had to let it go. She wanted to be a dancer. Now she's in her last year of high school and an incredibly talented dancer. She wins competitions all over the state and even nationally. Now, for my example, with my own kids, for those who have been listening for a while, you may remember me talking about Carter, our oldest, being a very talented swimmer. When he puts his heart into it, he drops time like crazy. He actually still holds the backstroke records in the 50 and 100 for the 78-year-old boys for his old swim team. He qualified and went to Coastal Championships and Junior Olympics the first year he swam for his team and placed in the top three in several events. Then he burned out. He was just over it. It was so hard to watch him walk away. He has so much talent, but I knew it had to be his choice. I knew it had to be his passion, not mine. I knew if he were ever going to be truly competitive, it had to come from inside of him. He didn't do any sports after that for about four months, but he'd always wanted to play volleyball. He was finally old enough when he turned nine to play on our city league, so he joined the city volleyball league this spring. 
He did really well and learned how to control the ball, how to spike, and how to serve. His team ended up in second place in the league after the championships. Now, my goal for my kids has always been and will always be for them to have a sport that they love just to make physical fitness a part of their lifestyle. The goal has never been for college scholarships or the Olympics or any such thing. But if they had a talent and wanted to go that route, then that's fine. That's great. I will support them all the way as far as I can. But I also know the drive has to come from the child. And if it does, then I will do everything I can to get behind them and support it. Take them where they need to go, drive them everywhere, rearrange schedules, we'll work it out. So he wanted to keep playing volleyball, but he wanted to play in a more competitive environment. So I then contacted the more competitive league here in town. Shortly after I did that, he started talking about going back to his swim team. I was shocked. All this like last year and a half, just no interest in it whatsoever. So it turned out that a lot of his teammates from his old swim team are in the junior lifeguard program with him this summer. And his one main competitor at meets that has been his main competitor all along in his age group, including the big championship meets, was the only one at junior lifeguards that he still can't beat at swimming through the lake. So he said, for one, he misses his teammate friends. And for two, he really wants to beat this kid at freestyle. He has a super competitive personality. So he will set a goal and he will go after it. So we talked about it for several weeks. And I I actually wanted him to wait until after the summer break in the swim season and then go back in the fall, which is really like mid to late August, before he really made a decision. But he kept saying it. I want to go back to swim. I want to go back to swim. But I kept talking about it because I wanted to make sure. Because first off, you have to make a kind of big commitment financially for the year for swimming. So I was like, if we're going to do this, I want to make sure you're going to do it. I do not want to have a fight with you every time it comes to going to swim team because you're burning out. You really need to want this. Are you sure you're ready? Are you sure you want this? And he said he's absolutely 100% on board and he couldn't wait to start again. He wanted to start the next day. So what we did is I signed him up and he starts ugh, less than a week from today. So I'm still shocked about this decision, but he's really excited about it. He cannot wait to go back. But a year and a half is a good amount of time. And I think he just needed to mature. I think he's old enough now. I think he's ready to make that commitment. He knows the hard work behind it. So I'm glad he took the time off. I'm glad he tried another sport. I'm glad that I supported him and let him go off and do other things and try other things. Because now he doesn't have to wonder what other sports are like or what it's like to try something else. And who knows, maybe he'll end up back to volleyball eventually. I don't know. Maybe he'll burn out on swimming in another year or two. But I'm just really excited to see him get back into swimming and now that he's passionate about it again and see how he does in the coming season. And the last swim meet he just had last weekend with our HOA team, he is just he's on fire again. He, he cleaned up at the meet, so it's really fun to see him so excited again. So I know I covered a lot of different topics and there's so many places I could have and wanted to go with some of these topics, but hopefully I shared my thoughts somewhat clearly and cohesively. But if you have a question, thoughts, or comments about what I discussed today, or if you have another parenting question you'd like answered, you can send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.